politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to be free to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here on Tuesday, May 4th for another terrific day of broadcasting. And folks, I know a lot of people are focused on the soap opera with Bill and Melinda Gates filing for divorce. Always a sad thing. But I was thinking... When could we file for a divorce from Bill Gates? Why does our life have to be ruined and run and run? Because a man needs wealth and fame. You have an experimental mRNA being jabbed into kids now. Kids! Pfizer announced next week the FDA will greenlight 12-year-olds to get this for something that is literally like a paper cut for them, less than the flu. And we are forcing an experimental vaccine upon them when we already have prima facie so many issues with it. Even if you believe it's relatively low, it certainly doesn't justify the risk. It doesn't meet the statutory threshold for the conditions of an emergency use authorization for children and young adults. But then again, we are a nation of political will, not the rule of law. So we will have on the show later today a special guest, um, Dr. Andy Bostom. We haven't had him in a couple months. He is going to update us on the latest research on this issue. But folks, this is happening. They're mandating anywhere and everywhere. We have people being fired from their jobs for not getting something experimental. Because we are ruled by corporate communism. That's what we have, corporate communism. Something that the communists didn't have, but we have today. Now, obviously, there's a lot more going on on crime stories. Crazy jailbreak stories I have for you with the worst violent offenders never being locked up. Um, but, But that's where we are. You are out on your own to defend yourself. And that is why you need the best training the best training to learn how to defend yourself. I cannot urge you more to go get iTarget Pro laser target bullet for dry fire practice. Those of you who are out at front sight with me know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, 90% of what you learn, you could do dry fire proper stance, proper grip, proper five-point draw from the holster, um, side alignment, uh, trigger control, the proper smooth, you know, quick presentation, but smooth trigger pull. So what iTarget does is, you know, you set up your, you get the laser bullet, you set up your smartphone on this projector, and it tracks with the app it tracks your shots for another couple bucks. You can get the deluxe version of the app, which allows you to do timed shots from the holster where you could literally track the hits and the timing. It is perfect. I use it so much because I used to dump 250 rounds uh, each trip to the range, but I can't afford that anymore. So again, an eye target comes in all major calibers, um, the dummy you know, laser bullet, uh, including your 223 for your AR, but certainly, you know, 9mm, 45 cal for your uh, um, pistol rounds. It's a pr- pr- propriety app. You just load the laser bullet in your firearm and start training. You can get 10% off plus free shipping with offer code CR at the checkout. So go to itargetpro.com. That's I, the letter I, targetpro.com. Offer code CR. Now, folks, you know, one of the things that we saw with this uh, vaccine story, many of you have seen it. If you haven't, just to reiterate, a New Jersey school nurse was suspended after complaining about masks causing harm to children. She told uh, a New Jersey radio station that her own children, the students she saw um, in the Stafford School District were suffering anxiety, rashes, headaches, stomach aches, uh, because you know they're just sitting and wearing masks all day. 
I've been getting an outpouring of emails from parents, she said, all over the place telling me that their child has strep throat, that the doctor has been telling them there's been a big outbreak of strep, and yet they're being forced to wear masks. And for her be for her speaking out, she was fired. She was fired. Our kids are nothing but petri dishes. Malok. Jabbing them with an experimental vaccine, covering their faces with a bacteria trap, covering their proper breathing for nothing, all a lie. When there is like settled science on them not being affected, not being vectors of spread, just doesn't matter. But who's standing up for us? How many states are they prohibiting localities from actually mandating it on kids? And the answer is, until yesterday, clearly there were zero prohibiting it. Now, if you read DeSantis's order, it sounds like you know any local government cannot issue such an order, and a school district is a form of local government, but Miami-Dade County is out there saying they're not affected by it, and they're going to keep doing it. So now the ball is in the governor's court there. We'll see what he does. But, I mean, this is what's happening everywhere. And it got me thinking that we need, we need some sort of big idea on education reform. Not just cleaning out the cesspool of the public schools, but evacuating ourselves from the public schools in, you know, in, in totality. We need a parallel universe to accreditate, fund, at a state level, training for patriotic teachers that will serve as pod leaders, homeschool-style teachers. It's time to compete against the public school system. That's what we need, a complete parallel system. It's a big, it's a big point that I've seen everywhere. Basically, a teacher's college that would credential future teachers and the homeschool industry for like red state school networks. We need to start thinking along those lines. We are not going to fix their system. I'm just warning you that. So you have that. Um, I'm not going to be able to get to all of our jailbreak stories today. Um, but a couple of other announcements before I have our guest. Uh, in Idaho, the Senate refuses to even hold a hearing on the House-passed bill banning mask mandates. The Senate works for the governor, even though Republicans have a four-to-one majority. We just don't pay attention to what goes on in legislatures. This is how you can have an area that's 80% Trump and has a dirtbag who represents it, and they get away with this stuff because nobody knows what's going on. So first off, it's almost a sure thing that Janice McGee and the, the lieutenant governor is going to run and challenge Brad Little. That is going to be one of the most important races. Red state governor, that, that's where it's at. So keep an eye out, out for that. But in general, this is what I'm start, trying to start with my Constitution Action Network. Everyone's like, well, other people have thought of this. I don't see that. I don't see Liberty Strike Force teams in every red state where people focus like a laser beam on what they're doing in the legislature, which frankly affects us much more than the Washington scene. You know, you have this where I live, even in a blue area, but, but you know, right where I am, there's a little bit of red mixed in. Broadly, the state and county are very blue. But one issue that's always red is crime. Almost nobody wants jailbreak. Nobody knows what these guys are doing. So we had this murder, shocking murder, close by in the Jewish community in Baltimore, very rare occurrence, even given the broad violence, you know, a couple miles away. This happened less than two miles from my house. It appears it was the typical thing of juvenile carjackers ended the life of a 31-year-old man pulling up at the apartment of uh, a relative of his around midnight. And what happened was the state delegate rep, they call them delegates here from the house, put out a statement saying, oh, this is a terrible tragedy. We'll find the person, bring him to justice. And I had to inform people. I was like, do you know we just had in Maryland SB 494, the Juvenile Restoration Act, which literally poured lighter fluid on this juvenile problem in Maryland. It enabled the judges to circumvent all of the minimums. First of all, they banned all life sentences for all juveniles, but then circumvent all the minimums down the thresholds. So you have all these, the, the biggest problem we have now are the 16-year-olds with armed carjackings. They literally have 
firearms, assault with a deadly weapon, carjackings, multiples, and they don't serve a day pre-trial and or even post-conviction. Nothing. And rather than making it stronger, this piece of garbage voted for this, and most people don't even know about this bill. Even Larry Hogan vetoed it, but they overrode his veto. And like people in my area, they were shocked. They didn't know about it. I could guarantee you she didn't get a single call because on another jailbreak bill, I had my brother-in-law call her. She's, he's not even in the district, but she didn't realize that. And she got so angry, was so prickly, she blocked his number. And I was thinking, she likely never gets that. Imagine if you had 50 people, a, a strike force of 30 driving hundreds of calls. It makes a difference. They don't hear it about it because people don't even know this stuff goes on. People don't follow legislatures. That's what I'm trying to do with these Liberty Strike Force groups. You're going to have a, there's going to be a lot of things we do, but one of the things is you're going to have a couple of people designated as your legislative liaisons, les, legislative researchers in your groups to research this stuff and be ahead of it. What bills they're holding hearings on? What bills that are good that we need to push? And let people know, like, you know your people are doing this. They don't go around and say, hey, we just let out violent juveniles. No one runs on that. They say the opposite. This is terrible. We need to do something about crime. That's what, that's what they put out. But they vote for this stuff and no one even notices. So that's where we are with that. Crazy crime stories I have for you. I want to talk about maybe a little bit more tomorrow. Now our next, next segment with our guest, sponsored by Gabby Insurance. Those of us who don't get handouts from government have to look for every way to save money. One of them is on insurance. Every once in a while, I like to check to see if my rates are the lowest they can be with car insurance and homeowners. What if I told you I could save you on average $961 a year? Gabby is not a product. It's a service that is free. You just go online and they shop for you from a list of over 40 top providers like Progressive Nationwide Travelers, and they give you apples-to-apples apples comparison when you put in your data for you know the type of plan you have for auto and homeowners. They will divide it up by both, and they'll show you how much you could save by, by switching at that given moment. Um, I thought I had rock bottom. I was with Geico for years, um, and, and I, I had a very good rate because they didn't save me as much as they save most people, and I knew they wouldn't because I had very good rates. Still, I saved 350 bucks, but most people save a lot more. If they can't find you savings, guess what? Then you have peace of mind that you actually do have the best rate. They will never sell your info. They won't give you annoying spam and robocalls. Likelihood, in all likelihood, you're probably overpaying on car and homeowner's insurance. See how much Gabby could save you by checking this out just for free, no obligation, go to gabby.com slash Daniel. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash Daniel, gabby.com slash Daniel to save hundreds of dollars on car and homeowner's insurance. Now, folks, I mentioned before that we'd get to the main course today by really delving into this immoral, illogical, unscientific, superfluous, forced vaccination of children. Now, whether they're forcing them or strongly encouraging them, it doesn't matter. Because you read Statute 21 U.S.C. 360 BBB 3 and all of the substatutes there, they state very clearly when something is emergency use authorization, first of all, it has to be made clear to people that it is indeed experimental, which most a lot of people don't even realize that. Number two, it has to be made clear that the known risks or the known benefits outweigh the potential risks of the product, that there is no adequate approved and available alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating such disease. Healthcare professionals must be informed of the significant known and potential benefits and risks of the emergency use of the product and of the extent to which such benefits and risks are unknown. They must, again, also be informed of alternatives and ask yourself this. And also, you have to have a surveillance program to monitor adverse reactions, which we kind of do, but it's insufficient. How many of those provisions are being fulfilled? And how in the world could the vaccination of children at an experimental stage meet the threshold of benefits outweighing potential risks, given how low their mortality rate is from this virus? 
And if they're lying to us about that, what else are they lying to us about? Now, with us today to discuss some of the latest research is Dr. Andy Bostom. We've had him on a number of times. He is an academic medical researcher and associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. You have to follow him on Twitter. You really do. I don't know why he doesn't have more followers, but at Andrew Bostom. Uh, this is how I'm up on a lot of the latest literature, the latest academic literature that I cite on this show. It often comes from Dr. Bostom. This is his bread and butter researching this stuff. And I figured I'd get his balanced view on where the vaccine stands today, what are the concerns, and how do you weigh this against various cohorts um, who are potentially vulnerable or not vulnerable at all to this virus. So with us today is Dr. Bostom. Hey, doctor, thanks so much for joining us again today. Uh, thanks for having me on, Dan. All right. So now here's the deal. As we well know, all of us associated with the rational ground folks, we all have unanimity of opinion against lockdowns, the mask wearing, none of these non-pharmaceutical interventions work. We all know that there's censorship, downright lying, immoral decisions being made by the so-called public health experts. We're all in agreement. When it comes to vaccines, you know, there's some people who are suspicious of them. Um, People like myself from day one were like, hey, look, I'm all for something that is safe and effective, a way to contribute to the existing natural immunity and to build it quicker among the vulnerable populations that you, you know, don't really want to get the virus. And heck, if that's going to help us get out of this tyranny, I'm all for it. Just don't make me get it, but um, I'm all for it. But then I, I, I watched your Twitter account. We haven't spoken a lot about this issue beforehand. And, you know, you were very bullish about the vaccine and, you know, very hopeful about it, showing some data, the latest uh, uh, academic li literature that you found on it. And then I've noticed the last couple of weeks and even, you know, last month or two, you've been raising alarm bells about some of the things you're seeing about the vaccine. And I said, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're someone who's been generally very pro-vaccine, and if you're having some concerns... This is something that should give us all pause. So could you talk a little bit about what has given you pause, let's say, in recent weeks as opposed to December, January when this came out? Yeah, I guess part of it was my own naivete, uh, honestly. I, I, I really I really assumed that this was going to be a tar uh, overall was going to be a targeted vaccination vaccination strategy. In other words, this um, one of the mercies, uh, if you can describe it that way, of, 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 uh, of SARS-CoV-2, of the disease COVID-19, is that it's, it's really age-stratified in terms of the worst uh, uh, morbidity and mortality. Um, it really takes, it, it really drops off precipitously uh, by the time you get below the age of 60. Um, it even, it, I think there's even a step down between, you know, below, below and, and, and above 70. Um, and, and, uh, I just assumed that that uh, we would sort of call it quits when the high risk populations were vaccinated, and, and of course, Dan, you know, there's, there there are going to be people, um, you know, le less than seventy, less than sixty-five, who have a very heavy burden of comorbidity, and even though it's an experiment, they're all experimental vaccines, as you described under EUA. Um, still, you could find niche populations uh, that were that were below 65 uh, that that could benefit from from the vaccine um, in a way that would would easily offset uh, any potential downsides to the vaccine. I had no idea that that we, we were going to adopt this. Really, what seems to be a um, like a, like an old. Um, disease eradication paradigm, which we've talked about in the past, uh, which is um, which is uh, you know akin to to smallpox <laughs> vaccination uh, or the childhood illness vaccinations uh, that we're all familiar with, um, and I, I I began to get very uh, upset when I just saw that approach, and and then you know we we, we have to I, I always want to preface this by talking about you know huge denominators and and um, and back and really what are background events. Um, but those background events, uh, and I'm talking about adverse events associated with vaccine, uh, whether they're causal or not, they're just at this point, they're, they're associations. Um, there's a couple of there's one syndrome in particular that looks to be, you know, pretty clear cut 
uh, caused by uh, it's been associated with the with the um, adenovirus vector vaccines, which is that thrombosis and low platelet syndrome, which caused the pause on the uh, Janssen vaccine in the United States, which caused Denmark, by the way, to eliminate it altogether. Uh, but but no, I began to see um, that if we're going to apply a broad-based strategy, since the since the risk serious the risk of serious COVID drops off so precipitously, certainly by the time you get into the younger age groups that are now being the, the vaccines being pushed upon, we're, we're literally talking now. Uh, you know, Pfizer is on the cusp of getting an, uh, an EUA for 12 to 15 year olds and is already recruiting uh, for a, a, a trial a trial in kids less than 12. I, I, I mean, so we're we're really in a realm that I never thought we'd be in. And so what I what I started to see was, of course, you know, there, there was both the the AstraZeneca and the and the um, Janssen adenovirus vector vaccines, there was a strong signal for this syndrome, particularly in, in women less than 50 years of age. Um, but it's happened in men as well, uh, where they were getting very low platelets, so they were prone to bleeding at the same time that they were developing unusual uh, th- th- thrombi, uh, big clots in, in unusual locations, like in, in venous systems, in the brain, in, in the gut, in the viscera. Um, and the ones in the brain in particular, when they're combined with low platelets, could cause catastrophic uh, uh, fatal bleeding and, 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 and severe uh, morbidity if, if, if the person survived. I mean, talking about now the case fatality rates look, look to be about 20%. Um, and so uh, that signal came out strongly because it's such an unusual phenomenon. But I just I just wanted to see. And again, these are all these are all just associations. I, I wanted I wanted you know we, one of the one of the uh, you you certainly know this well. One of the verboten things you were never supposed to compare COVID nineteen to influenza. And and of course that's ridiculous because there are a lot of similarities. Um, but but what what I what I what I don't see. Uh, anyone talking about is well, what about what happens when we compare the, the COVID nineteen vaccines to the influenza vaccines? And after I got a little more comfortable navigating this uh, adverse event reporting system, which is a you know public publicly available uh, website um, maintained by the CDC, um, I was very alarmed, particularly looking in a group that that I think you have to be really cautious and selective about vaccinating, and that's people under fifty years of of, of age. So I looked at I looked at 18 to 49 years old in this uh, reporting system. That's again the website run by the CDC, and I looked at uh, through um, the the end of April. So by the end of April, I saw that 52 million uh, people had been uh, 18 to 49 years old had been at least partially vaccinated, and 30.4 million had been fully vaccinated according to the CDC's tracker on vaccinations. And uh, in that, I compared that to, I wanted to get rid of the transition year 2019 to 2020 because it's too confusing what was going on there. I just looked at 2019, 2018, 2017, and 2016 using flu data, uh, both vaccinations that I could get from uh, the CDC. And then they do, what they do, Dan, is they, they take random samples. They, they, they don't do what we're doing now with with uh, with COVID-19, where they literally track each vaccination administered. They do random random end of the year samples uh, to look at uh, vaccine um, uh, compliance uh, in in uh, something through the behavioral risk factor surveillance system. And then you have to project those numbers, the percentages onto the population in, in that age bracket. So th- that, those were my historical data. And, and they were pretty close in terms of numbers of people vaccinated. So the average number vaccinated between 2016 and 2019, those calendar years for flu, was 44 million fully vaccinated. And that, again, that compares to 52 million, par- at least partially vaccinated, and 30.4 million fully vaccinated already by the, by the end of April. And so um, the average number of hospitalizations, again, for 44 million people vaccinated with the flu for those years, was just about 85. And the number of deaths per year was two. As of, as of 
data entered into the uh, same system, the same adverse event reporting system uh, by uh, April 16th. Again, remembering 85 uh, hospitalizations, two deaths each year on average for, for flu vaccine, 2016 to, to 2019. There were already 1,357 hospitalizations entered into the BEARS database and 46 deaths. So roughly 15 times more uh, associated hospitalizations and 60 times more associated deaths. Uh, so, you know, the, the, this is not the flu vaccine. What, whatever is going on and whether these associations pan out to be causal in any way, shape or form, um, these are the raw data in the same yep. uh, adverse mm -hmm. event reporting system. And they're different. But again, the very strong caveat is that we're talking about events per million, Dan. We're not, sure. we're not talking, you know, so, so, so these, these are background events. It's absolutely true. But when you start to get down into age groups, like they're be considering now, I mean, literally going down to six months old, we're, we're in a whole different realm where, where, the, the known and certainly the unknown potential adverse yes. effects of these non-flu-like vaccines become critical and become, to me, uh, you know, a red flag. And, and I'll give you an example. Yep. I just want to give you another example of something that's, that, that can be quite dangerous in addition to this, this rare syndrome of, of, of clotting, thrombosis, and, and low platelets, thrombocytopenia. Um, Israel has reported, and it's probably more by now because the cases go up, you know, each week as, as delayed reports come in. Israel had reported um, 62 cases of myocarditis, and these are with the mRNA vaccines. The, the, there, there they're using Pfizer. Um, 62 cases of myocarditis. Um, there's, uh, I'll have to see what the, what the new update is, but there were, there were at least 50 cases in the, in the United States. Uh, of myocarditis, and again, they're primarily occurring in people less than uh, less than fifty years old. Um, Ooh, I actually wait, wait, could, could you could you stop there? I, I want you to because you mentioned that before with the platelets. Why is that? If you could just explain a little bit, because what you seem to be saying is it's not just that the risk versus benefit analysis works against the vaccine more with young younger people simply because they're not as much at risk for the virus, but Seemingly, younger people are more at risk for the adverse reactions to the vaccine. Well, it, 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 you know what, Dan? It's a, it's, a, it's a little hard to tease that. I guess the presentations in people without obvious risk factors are so striking is mm. why they're being singled out. In other words, if, if you're looking at, at a population above 50 where there's a lot of uh, comorbidity that, that in and of itself, for example, could contribute, you know, to thrombosis, could contribute to thrombocytopenia, so, you know, background things like cancer and drug reactions and things like that. Where it, it, it's cleaner to see these associations when they occur in much lower risk populations, because the truth is, it, you know, they, they, they are happening in, in, in other age groups as well. It's just that it's very, it, it's much more difficult to, and again, all of these are associations but 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 when there's when there's you know virtually an absence of coexisting risk factors and you see these very dangerous clear cut phenomena, um, you begin to say the, the and the timing you know is 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 so is so clear. Um, you begin to say that as rare as these events are, they look to be truly associated with the vaccine. It's it's a much more complicated issue uh, to really you know get a clear signal when there's when there's all this other over, uh, underlying comorbidity, which could also be contributing. I think that's why, um, uh, and that's why these clusters were picked up. They're, they're statistically also much more abnormal to have occurred in the people less than 50. So um, I, I, I just think that, that uh, that's really why it's been my focus, because, um, again, it, it also goes to the whole idea of who you're going to ever vaccinate with these vaccines, experimental or not. Um, known safety profile or not, um, because you're now talking about complications, serious ones, albeit rare, occurring in people whose risk is, is much lower. So, so that, that's really been my concern. But in terms of myocarditis, which is an inflammation of, of the heart muscle itself, sometimes it's called a myopericarditis because the sac that literally holds the heart in, in the chest cavity, uh, the pericardium can become inflamed. I've seen two reports in bears in a 16-year-old male and a 17-year-old male. Um, again, all, all associations. But, you know, 
when you when you start to see these these clusters, and I guess the Department of Defense in their vaccination program saw 14 cases of myocarditis, also predominantly in people less than 40 years old, um, that that they're looking into you know a real causal association. Um, so I, I guess that that's really what what caused me alarm. Uh, in addition to just you know presenting the basic comparison to influenza, um, you know that that. Whoa! This is this is really this is really not what what I thought anticipated uh, seeing. Uh, I i.e. the strategy of just mass vaccination, you know, basically a COVID zero strategy via vaccine, um, and then uh, issues with with the vaccines themselves, and 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 slowly reviewing some of the um, some of the basic science literature, which is you know which is not you know not not my forte, but I I could read it. And you know there 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 have been signals there. Um, it's it's hard to translate. It's a lot of animal models, uh, but but the spike protein itself um, may have properties that could make it thrombogenic. They could make it prone to, to causing clots. Uh, that could make it you know pro-inflammatory. Um, so it it just it just you know the, the whole package becomes a little more complicated uh, yes. than certainly what what I had bargained for in 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 in, in seeing the initial promising results of the of the, in terms of immune response and 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 least it, it, at least gross safety in relatively small numbers uh, of people with the with the with the vaccines. And also, I wanted to get into the surveillance because I think you know what concerns me is that typically. When you do things properly in the right timeline with the trials, short term, long term, and even when you have experimental, so again, it's not like you have, oh my gosh, uh, three weeks ago, we're starting a trial on kids, and then like a couple weeks later, okay, it's approved uh, for emergency use authorization. We're like, wait a minute, we've never done that before, and oh, it's an emergency. Well, What's the death rate among kids? Yeah. It's next to zero. Exactly. So you know this is political. Like we know every other aspect of COVID is not well, life well, science. Well, it's political science. Well, the, so my, yeah. So my yeah, question just, guess, Andy, the, is yeah. on the surveillance. How yeah, could we okay, trust so, that this is the extent of the adverse reactions, that it's not a lot more than what's in the system? Oh, we can't. We can't because, the, the, you know, the, the, the system – this, uh, uh, Harvard Pilgrim studied this uh, a decade ago, and I know there's some controversy about their report and what the actual overreporting rate is. But <laughs> no one would argue that that there that there wasn't un, uh, underreporting into the into the surveillance system. Um, and that that report initially came out in, in, in that came out in 2010, and then there was software developed in cooperation with with Harvard Pilgrim. That was applied in the state of Ohio, and it's actually a very it's a very interesting paper. I mean, the the idea was that you know physicians have to take their own time and their own awareness and report these events into the system, or families you know can 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 do it uh, as well. So software was developed to monitor uh, an ele electronic medical record in the state of Ohio uh, that would that would send. Uh, automated emails to physicians who were in, who were in the care of people who had been recently vaccinated. If, 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 if any one of a list of diagnoses popped up within a time frame after the vaccination, um, that has traditionally been associated uh, with vaccines, uh, things, uh, things that affect the nervous system, the circulatory system, uh, certainly um, uh, anaphylactic or allergic reactions, things that were known to be associated uh, with vaccines um, to serve as a prompt to the physician to in investigate and file a report amongst all their other, you know, ob clinical obligations. And, and what they found is just installing this system, and it was a pilot, which for some reason <laughs> the CDC, by the way, refused to adopt, because I thought it looked like a very promising study that was published in 2015. Um, just having this prompt system in place, Dan, increased the, the, the amount of consideration of, of reporting um, uh, by, by actually, and, and filing, by 30-fold. By um, mm. and, and, and so that tells you that, that, that you, know, left, left on, you know, left to a more passive process, shall we, shall we say, um, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be under-reporting. Um, and, uh, and then the other part of the system that I, to this day, don't understand is that there are some very, flimsy reports 
that will make it into the system. Like, you know, God bless these families. They're just trying to report something, and it's just done in a kind of haphazard way. And those reports will show up. By the way, particularly for flu, it was kind of interesting. I think the quality of the data, if anything, is much better for, for COVID, even when they're family uh, reports. Um, they're much more granular, much more detailed uh, since, since I made the comparison. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, you have the reports uh, that are entered in uh, by physicians. But, but you know, it's, it's, all, it's all volitional. I, I thought this idea of having, uh, you know, using an EMR and, and, and sending these emails, they were just to be considered by the physicians. You know, the physicians, at least in the study, opened up the emails and looked at them and they said, ah, oh, this is plausible, this is not plausible, and they could decide to file a report. Um, but, but the absence of that, uh, and, 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 or how much that, that simple email alert system Im- improved uh, the, the reporting or, or, or increased the reporting just tells you that, yeah, I mean, come on, the problem is not over-reporting, it's under-reporting. Exactly, uh, and, exactly. You know, so, so, but, so, so given, given you have to, it takes something that's rare and striking, like this syndrome where you're developing these potentially life-threatening clots in unusual vascular beds, like, like the venous systems draining the gut, the brain, et cetera. You know, it takes something like that. Yeah, this system as it exists is probably okay for, for stuff like that. But, you know, that's, that may just be the, the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we just don't know. And then, and then, you know, there's just these crude associations. So that's why I thought that looking at just purely hospitalizations and deaths, which no one can argue with, um, even, if, even if the associations are loose, it's the same system. And to me, there's, there's a striking difference between the, COVID, the three COVID-19 vaccines that I pulled together and the 13 available influenza vi- vaccines. And, and again, you know, we're talking about not, you know, ancient history. We're talking about 2019, 2018, 2017, yep. 2016. No, exactly. exactly. It, it's, a stri- it's a striking difference. And, and, and Dan, you mentioned something I think it's also important to point out. When we get down to children, not only are the raw numbers that are dumped into the CDC, you know, uh, tabulation of, of mortality in, in 0 to 17 um, low and, and low relative to not only uh, uh, pandemic flu, but seasonal flu. Uh, yearly mortality. Um, we now know from the CDC that, yeah, they did a death certificate review, which was published in MMWR. And in that age range, for whatever the reason, they, they had to throw out 35% of them <laughs> because 35% of the death certificates, again, in this low incidence, thank God, group, uh, low, 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 low mortality uh, group, um, they didn't have the proper causal chain of events. You know, for, for example, I think we talked about this once a, a while ago, but, but, you know, a properly filled out death certificate for something like SARS uh, uh, would, would look like, you know, uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, pneumonia, um, acute respiratory distress syndrome, and death. You know, so, so what they found was that when they reviewed the, the death certificates in, in these unfortunate children who had, who had, who had died, um, they, they had to throw out 35% of them. And that was the sample that ended calendar year 2020. So I can't imagine the system, you know, the, the situation has improved any, any, you know, since then. But, but that just tells you that even the low numbers that, 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 that have occurred, thank God, in, in, in kids, the low numbers of deaths, are probably still exaggerated, you know, by third. Still, still um, exaggerated. So, but, but, but my concern is you, you juxtapose that to vaccine deaths, and you oh. know, you know that the lens they're using is is not nearly as acute as the lens they're using to designate a COVID death. And then you put it. You, let, let me just throw in one other sphere to this. When you juxtapose it to the um, the standard that they're giving to approve repurpose cheap um therapeutics and and all these cocktails that doctors have come up with that a lot of them have pretty solid uh research behind them and certainly things like ivermectin and how they won't even mention it to the people and they'll censor it and do everything they can to block it and then when it comes to something that legitimately is experimental unlike ivermectin which has four billion uh doses dispensed 
And and even like the monoclonal antibodies, which does have kind of big pharma attached to it, still they're not even promoting that much. And and despite the the strong uh, uh, studies behind it, yeah, the monocl- the monoclonal antibodies, it's it's true. I mean, they're available. Uh, the the data look very very promising. Um, and but, but it's like you know what it, I mean. It, it makes it, you it, wonder. It, they're not being promoted. They're, 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 well, it, it, I, I would say nationally they're not being promoted enough. Certainly not nearly anywhere what, the way the the vaccines are being promoted. Um, but but thank God there are there are local as you know as, as bad as my my Department of Health here in Rhode Island has been. One thing they've been really good about is is promoting the availability of the monoclonals. And there are pockets in the country where that where that's also true. But you're right. Overall, you certainly don't see you know uh, dopey Hollywood celebrities talking about if you know if you're not well. Uh, you know, and, and you're in a certain risk category, you really should, let, you know, contact your physician and ask about, you know, monoclonal. You, know, you, you just don't yeah. see commercials like that. Maybe a few departments of health have done commercials like that. But, but you know, the, 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 the Hollywood types are not doing commercials like that, yeah. whereas they're doing, you know, commercials for vaccination up the wazoo. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just re- really makes you wonder so that when you do see the smoke, even if it's low relative to the denominator, um, it, it, it's almost inconceivable to me that there isn't a little bit of fire there. There isn't more going on there. Um, I want to get to a couple of other things. We're running out of time, but to just finish off the risk benefit analysis on kids and oh, young yeah. adults, you, you did a lot of research on the incidence of hospitalizations and deaths among college students. Um, could you right. discuss a little bit from what we've seen, how many college kids have died of COVID and, yeah. and then now we have hundreds of colleges mandating the vaccine on them. Right. Right. Well, at the time, yeah. And I have to limit it to the sample where I was familiar because, you know, this is, this is part of the problem. This is part of the problem, Dan. We can't get the universities to simply, you know, the way they had all these coronavirus um, dashboards that it was easy to find out how many kids had tested positive. And they did a very, you know, these dashboards were very good. And there was all kinds of, you know, neat graphics. They, they, they anonymized because it's not a HIPAA issue. It's not anyone's privacy. They, they, there was only one or two that, that even had a category for hospitalization. And so I, what I had to do was go through local newspapers, campus newspapers. Um, and that's a very imperfect way to do it. But there was sure. nothing else I could do. And I, in, in my sample, which was which was a hundred large universities and colleges, which and it only went through the, 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 the um, Thanksgiving break in the first semester in the fall 2020 semester. Uh, so uh, so basically August, the, the middle of August to, to the middle of, of, uh, of November, I found a hundred and roughly one hundred and forty thousand positive tests on these hundred large ca- university campuses. Um, but only 17 hospitalizations that I could find and one questionable death. It wasn't, it, it was not a death that had been thoroughly vetted, you know, medically. It, it, it was a sure. potential death, I would say. Um, and, and no, you know, no, no, no coroner's report, not, not even a physician willing to say unequivocally that, th- that the death was a COVID death. Like the kid, the kid unfortunately died of a COVID pneumonia or something like that. It, it, it was, it was a, strange uh you know situation uh where i believe one of i think it might have even been a, a guillain-barre type syndrome but but regardless it, you know if, if 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 that was truly covid related there was one death and 17 hospitalizations out of out of almost 140,000 positive tests i mean that's that's nothing to be alarmed about and and how often um, do we and, hear them checking into the er with all sorts of things you have meningitis you have other things being passed around oh, uh, college dorms one of one of the striking things i remember in putting this together because one of the places I, I i surveyed was temple university you know that again i could find no evidence of a hospitalization uh i think maybe you know probably a, a place that was uh, maybe 500 positive tests at the time but during the time that I was uh, to look to, again, because I'm searching stories for hospitalizations, two girls who rented, a, uh, I think they were sophomores, rented a, an apartment off campus, got drunk and fell off a four story building and, and, and had multiple severe trauma. And, and they were in the ICU, but 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 nothing. But, you know, no, no covid related hospitalization. 
Yeah, with the so, drugs and know, the alcohol. I mean, that's that's exactly, really what you gotta exactly. what you that, gotta that, watch for, especially nowadays. And then now you have all these colleges just illegally mandating it when statute says it has to be uh, optional because it's emergency use. Well, the the other thing is, I'd love to see, I'd love to see what the consent process is for this thing, because because that's part of the EUA, and is is that it's got to be an informed consent, and 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 you and and so when it comes down on a consent. You know, because I've looked at mock consents that were developed for Pfizer. They're, they're really information packets, but they're really the same materials that go into a consent. And at the time, there were basically no other approved vaccinations. So all they say under alternative therapy is, well, there is no alternative therapy. Okay, so let's say now there's two, you know, they have to say grudgingly that there's, you know, there's, there's other approved you know, EUA vaccines. Um, and, and so... Uh, but, what, but what's glaringly missing is that that's not informed consent. Informed consent would say, well, wait a minute. Are, are, are you a young person that, that had a, uh, you know, a, a documented infection? You know, did you have a syndrome? Did you test positive? Uh, did you have antibodies developed, et cetera? Um, oh, if that's true, then the, the immunity afforded you by that natural infection, which you've recovered from, is at least as good as what you'll get from the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and if you explain that to a kid and the kid will say, well, I don't need that needle stuck in my arm. And, so and, that, you know, so no, that's another thing I wanted you to go over. We only have a few minutes left is natural immunity. You've, you, you really pioneered this by uh, publishing or uh, posting a lot of the published research on this issue. Um, you speak to the average man on the street and what they're getting from the media and the government is that natural infection is nothing. There is no caveat. Look, maybe prioritize people that didn't get it. Um, there's nothing. It's as if natural infection is nothing. And, you know, so you have young people, which really doesn't make sense to assume the risk of all these unknowns. But then there's people, let's say you're kind of older, but you know you had it already. These people right. are dead. Like, I have an uncle that got it really bad. He was hospitalized. Um, obviously, has high antibody levels. And um, he was deathly afraid. To him, you know, he had no immunity, no immunity before the vaccine. Um, what what's some right. of the research you've seen on this? Well, I, I mean, individual uh, countries have have all produced <laughs> remarkably consistent uh, data, which which uh, so uh, I've seen data in healthcare workers and general populations out of the UK, uh, from Austria, from from Qatar, uh, from uh, th that all show that. That if you look at if you compare people inf infected, say in in a first or an early wave, with with sub with a subsequent wave, um, that that they they are conferred a, a, an immunity that's at le least as good as the vaccination, um, and maybe more robust, and maybe includes more T cell immunity if it's when it's actually studied in in the laboratory. But the bottom line is their reinfection rates, let alone their hospitalization rates, uh, during a second wave if they've been previously infected and recovered. Is, is is minuscule um, and and then in Israel they because they're vaccine central they had the best laboratory to look at this they looked they looked through their uh, you know nationalized healthcare system at at data from 6.4 million people and in that even in Israel Dan they, they managed to find a group of 188,000 so not a small group um, that were followed actually six six to nine months forward. Um, again, uh, uh, infected in an early wave in Israel and followed through the second major wave in the, in the fall spring, at least fall spring in our calendar. Uh, and then they were able to compare them to various vaccine groups and, and uh, vaccinated groups. And, and, and overall, what they found was there was absolutely no difference in terms of infection rates, hospitalization rates and death rates comparing that 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 vaccine naive cohort of 188,000 to the, to the, to the, you know, several millions of people overall that were vaccinated uh, in, in Israel in terms of, in terms of reinfection. And, and interestingly in that, in that pure group that, that, that was never vaccinated and was just followed longitudinally, the 188,000, there was a single death in, in a, in a person that was reinfected uh, who was 80, 80 plus years old. That's it. That's yeah, out it. of 188,000 and, people. And our government continues. I mean, to me, that is one of the most shameful things they've done to lie about natural immunity 
Um, and, and that's why this is what oh, I really. Oh, again, it was even. It was sorry, sorry, sorry to throw you. It's even better. The, the authors had the, had the gut at the end of this to say that their day. These are the Israeli authors again. Vaccine Central. To vaccine the world, Central. Yep. Pfizer's laboratory to say, well, our data question the utility of, of, of vaccinating previously infected people. You know, and, and this is this is my problem that what we've talked about the last half an hour, what we already know, looking at the benefit versus risk of the vaccine, even if you believe there is somewhat of a benefit for the right people. But what we don't know is astounding. And then, you know, I'm not sure what to believe. Like the Pfizer CEO, this is just coming out. It's not really new because he's he said a couple of things, but he believes it is likely annual or regular COVID vaccines right. will be required. What, Andy? Right. What am I supposed to do with that? What yeah. does that mean? Well, I guess you know they're 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 already projecting onto it. Again, you're not supposed you're never supposed to compare COVID in any way to the flu, but it sounds doesn't it sound very flu like to you? I mean, you know, you. But I'm saying if I would have said this, the they would have ca- called me an anti vaxxer or something. But this right, is the CEO right. of Pfizer saying this, right, so right. you know, well, to, well, to me, the real world data, the real world yeah. data from Israel, Dan, showed in in uh, two cohorts that were vaccinated, unvaccinated at the time, and published in the New England Journal. Um, mid to late February, 527,000 vaccinated, 527,000 unvaccinated. There were there were 20 deaths in the vaccinated group, group, and there were 39 deaths in the unvaccinated group. So they cut the mortality about in half. Uh, and I, but, and but, but uh, that's tough. if you look, if, yeah, if you look at the number needed to treat, think of those fractions. You know, basically 20 over 527,000 versus yep. uh, 39 over 527,000, the number needed to treat. So in other words, you take, you take the, the difference in that, in that fractional, those fractional numbers, and then you, and then you, and then you take the reciprocal, uh, you, 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 divide, you, you divide that number, you, you take one over that number. So that, that absolute risk difference between those two fractions. And it shows you that you need 20, about 28,000 people had to be vaccinated to prevent one COVID death. So, you know, it, it's giving you in, in the real world what it what it now that's over. You could argue, well, that's only over a 42 day period. And sure, that that relationship, yeah. you know, should ostensibly hold but, up. But, 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 but Andy, additional would, 48, 42 day periods. But it's still, it's not a profound effect. Would you. So so would you agree with me? I, I never accuse this thing of just being, you know, water or poison meaning it's going to kill everyone right. or it's just nothing there's definitely right. a degree of efficacy um prima facie but what the 94 percent number giving by pfizer i just look worldwide at it's, any geographical yeah, curve and they no, all went down yeah. you you look yeah. at eastern europe a couple of our colleagues put this out albania moldova three percent vaccination rates very low vaccine rates there i'm not sure what the deal is but they're all, it went down in the toilet. You look at California, which barely has anything. Well, I'll tell you why they barely have anything, because they got a massive winter spread, and they reached herd exactly. immunity in L.A., and it peaked on Jan- on January 14th was the peak day in L.A., or maybe, I think it was California at large, and that was before a single senior even got their first vaccine. So it's very hard to tell. It, um, it, it is. It is. It's, that's why the data from Israel were kind of interesting. It shows you. It shows you. The, 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 the other analysis that was done, Israel's data is better, but because this is, again, one of these, you know, one of these models. But it's, very, it's a very revealing model from uh, Public Health England. They, they claimed that about, uh, and again, this, they did it in the right age group, at least. They claimed that uh, 10,400 deaths were, were saved in the U.K., as a result of their vaccination program over a time period, I guess that ended in um, certainly, uh, certainly by March. And, uh, and what, what was interesting in this, and again, it's modeled, it, out of those 10,400 uh, 10, deaths allegedly, uh, allegedly prevented in the 60 plus age group, but, but already by the time you got to 60 to 69, the number was only 100. So, so 99% of the preservation of life uh, through, you know, not, not dying from COVID uh, occurred in those 70 plus years old, even in a group that was just basically 60 plus. And they didn't even bother to model below 60, Dan. 
this is what is so absurd, what we know and what we don't know. And, and, and just a final point to get your comment on. So we already know from a Singapore study that um, T cells that were generated from prior infection to SARS-1 17 years right. ago, and at least exactly. in a lab, seem to work against SARS-2. So certainly if you are infected with SARS-2, you should likely have long-term immunity. My question to you is you go to the vaccine, and I'm not sure which lie to believe and which one not, meaning is it – did Pfizer lie then or now? In other words, are they really telling the truth that that this thing is only short-term effective short-term and they lied about long-term effectiveness um or is it that it is long-term effective and they just want more revenue like i don't know which thing it is but i do know we know what uh natural immunity is going to be long-term right right so so the SARS-CoV-1 data are very reassuring in terms of long-lasting t-cell immunity but you know we now have we now have uh close to a year follow-up of of people who've been naturally infected with SARS-CoV-2, and um, shorter, uh, shorter periods of time. Uh, although, if you go back and, and I think this is what was done at UC, uh, UC um, at, at Scripps La Jolla Institute, they compared uh, post-vaccination serum from some of the earliest vaccinees uh, to to um, and plasma to to uh, to naturally infected people, and and actually it was it was kind of reassuring. Certainly the certainly the naturally infected people um, had had evidence of T cell immunity that was uh, that was uh, effective against all the you know variants of interest and you know the Brazilian variant, the South African variant, the UK variant. Um, but but they also found that for people that had gotten uh, early on the mRNA vaccine. So the mRNA vaccine might have been. A little bit more recent, but but it, it it looked it looked as if there was there was uh, you know there was T cell immunity uh, in these young younger people. Now, uh, in terms of in terms of the um, adenovirus vector vaccines, one of the <clears throat> one of the disappointing things from the UK, but it's it's a very old group, so it's kind of understandable, was that the 80 plus year olds, uh, only about 12 percent of them, when they got the AstraZeneca adenovirus vector vaccine. Uh, showed any evidence of 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 developing a T cell immunity, so wow. they, they, the the Brits were concerned about that. But you know, I mean, they just don't have you know they may not. That's that's part of the problem when you're when you're 80 and and, and becoming increasingly frail is that you you don't have a, a very robust immune system. That that's interesting. But typically, natural infection. I mean, you know, we we tend not to worry about 85 year olds getting measles you know and you know most of them had natural infection um i know my parents are 70 and they did and they you know they didn't get the vaccine i don't think um because they were naturally infected so i mean this is this is something that's very concerning we know kids are de facto immune from you know strong symptoms we know everyone is presumed to be immune who had the virus that we know but the government ignores that and treats the vaccine like candy not like an experimental uh, uh, vaccine. And then now at the same time, but you do have to get it every year. This is very concerning. Um, Andy, very enlightening as always. Folks, you could you could find out more and you really need to follow him at Andrew Boston, B-O-S-T-O-M on Twitter. It's just a wealth of information. Keep churning out your facts, all right? Take care, Dan. Take care. God bless. So there you have it, folks. Dr. Andy Bostom, dear friend of mine. We've gotten very close this past year. I've learned a lot from him. Cardiovascular epidemiologist. Um, uh, very strong background in medical research at Brown University. And again, I wanted you to get his perspective in particular because he is, in general, he's very pro-vaccine. Even this, he still is like, there's probably a benefit to it, but... It was very telling when someone like like Andy started really changing his tune on it based on the information he was seeing. He was very open-minded to the vaccine. He wasn't against it at all from day one. I was like, wait a minute. And more and more I'm thinking like the age threshold to which it's worth getting this is is higher and higher. And, and again, like I've spoken about on other shows with other guests, even for those more at risk – the question is, why aren't we pushing the stuff that we know works as prophylaxis and early treatment 
as well as putting more money into researching and marketing, more stuff like that. It makes no sense. I think we all know where this is coming from, where it is headed. By the way, just one quick thing. We're out of time here. I just wanted to share a story with you. Maybe we'll get into it more tomorrow when we talk more about crime. But Maxine Waters wants to basically criminalize um, any employer who does back, criminal background checks on prospective applicants for a job. So basically, in their worldview now, you could go as an employer and mandate a vaccine, violate people's medical privacy, mandate experimental stuff, but get put into their bodies, but you're not allowed to ask about a criminal record. That, in a nutshell, is is what has become of America. This is why you can never bridge the divide between the competing worldviews in this country, which is why we got to self-separate over time, um, and which is what I'm trying to do with Constitution Action Network to make red states red so it will make it unhospitable to these clowns like that, and we, we kind of self-sort. That is the end goal. That is my end point here. Um, I hope you've learned a lot from today's show. We're going to have other guests on in the coming days and weeks. Uh, let me know who you think I should have on, who you want to hear from, what you want to hear from. This is a group forum um, for all of us to learn and grow together in our knowledge. That's what we're all about. Um, you know, there's one thing you could make a mistake, but don't be stuck on stupid. Learn from your from your mistakes uh, and actually get smart. And that's what Andy was willing to do on this on this vaccine. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Share this with a million of your friends, but we'll take a hundred. Until then, we'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place.